You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. We've talked about life in the 18th century for all sorts of people on this program, but we don't often think about one very substantial group of Williamsburg's 18th century population, and that's its children. Program developer in the Department of Public History, Kristen Spivey, is my guest today to help us think about what it was like to grow up in colonial Virginia. Kristen, thanks for being with us today. It's my pleasure. How is a child's life today different from what a child's life would have been like in the 18th century? Well, let's start at birth. Um, first of all, birth was a very trying time, just as it is today, for the mother. But today, when children are born, they are almost immediately identified saying, this is a boy and I'm going to dress him a certain way, or this is a girl and I'm going to dress her a certain way. Whereas in the 18th century, very young children were dressed identically. So it was very difficult to tell which was a boy and which was a girl. And that went on until they were, oh, sometimes as old as five or six years of age. Boys and girls would be wearing long white gowns and they would be put into stays after they were maybe beginning to toddle around, both boys and girls. And when they began to walk, they would be given what were called leading strings. Um, and we, we sometimes, there's a saying about being tied to your mother's apron strings. Well, in the 18th century, to keep children safe, they would sew little bands of cloth and to their shoulders. And with those bands of cloth, the mother could reach out and grab them if they were about to run into trouble. Some people may have heard the saying, um, he's a pudding head. Well, pudding head was actually referred to a pudding cap. And it, the name comes from the look of this padded, some people call it a crash helmet. <laughs> it is a very, actually very sweet looking little device that goes over a child's head when they were learning to walk. And if they fell, it was padded with probably, oh, any number of different things, but oftentimes wool, um, inside a leather a band that went around the head and then was crisscrossed at the top so that it wouldn't fall down over the head and reach the neck. And a child would wear that when they were learning to walk so that they wouldn't hurt themselves. And a small child learning to walk might be called a pudding head. So boys and girls, until the age that of about five, you said, they would both be wearing these long gowns and then also stays, this tightly laced um, undergarment that would support their whole trunk, abdomen. At what point did boys and girls start being dressed differently? Well, about that age of five or six, the girls might begin to be dressed similarly to their mothers. Uh, they might, although actually some of them kept on wearing that little white gown. Boys, on the other hand, would be put into their breeches, and it was called, they were breeched. And the breeches are usually down to the knee with a buckle to hold it in place, sometimes tied though. And then they would be wearing the stockings up to the knee, the breeches come down over that, uh, a waistcoat, which is a vest, and then their shirt underneath that. And depending on what they were doing, they might be put into a coat as well. Uh, the girls, on the other hand, that little white gown can still be worn with stays. And the thing is, it, it laces up the back, so you do need help getting into it. And the interesting thing about the little white gowns was that usually they would have tucks 
taken in the bottom of the gown. As your child grew, you could drop the tux, and that would allow you to put that same gown on a child while they were gaining in inches of height. At what age do they start going to school, or can we even think about them enrolling in school as in the same terms that we do now? Uh, no, not really, at least not here in Williamsburg, let's put it that way. Uh, there were some places that had schools, but most of the time children were educated at home. Now, sometimes the church might have uh, classes taught by the minister, for instance, but most of the time children were learning their first letters, numbers, a little bit of reading, writing from a parent, but there were no public schools, certainly, in the 18th century. Uh, there were tutors available. You, know, you could hire someone to come in if mom and dad couldn't either do it themselves or didn't have the time to do it. Um, tutors could be hired, and they would teach the basics. Uh, usually, once you got past reading and writing and maybe a little bit of arithmetic, uh, then there's a differentiation because boys might well, if they're going on to the college, certainly they're going to start learning something like Latin and Greek and what was called natural philosophy, which is science, um, moral philosophy, which is religion, and other much more uh, difficult subjects. Girls, on the other hand, they're going to start learning things uh, specific to housekeeping because that's their greatest expectation, is that they will be housekeepers, they will be mothers, and those are the skills that they need to learn. They need to learn how to uh, cook, how to clean, and keep in mind, <laughs> when I say clean, it's not just the vacuum cleaner and, and the dishwasher. They're doing it from making the soap, you know. So you had to learn how to make the soap and, um, you know, how to get that stain out of a wooden floor, that kind of thing. They enter into adulthood at an earlier age than, than our kids do today. At what age do they start getting married and setting up house for, their, for themselves? It's somewhat variable because um, officially, at least, boys are considered, and, they're, and they're, in legal terms are called infants until the age of 21. Nobody actually goes around calling them an infant, but, but that was the, the legal term was infant and girls 18, but many of them married before that age with parental consent. The, the age of 18 is the age of consent, which means that they are able to marry without a parent's permission. But many of them marry younger than that. Girls of, you know, 16 maybe, 17, that was not at all unusual. But actually by the end or third quarter of the 18th century, most girls on the eastern seaboard were marrying in their early 20s, early to mid 20s. Um, many, many women today, of course, wait their marriages until their 30s. But the period that we are commonly representing here in Williamsburg, um, it was not unusual, as I said, to see 16, 17, but it was much more common to see early 20s for young ladies and mid to late 20s for young men. What kinds of representations of life for colonial youth can we find today in the historic area? If people come and visit, what are they going to see that lets them know about the experience of children? Well, we have many, uh, we have domestic sites in Colonial Williamsburg. Um, there are children who work here, and we have over 100 uh, kids who work in costume in the historic area, mostly during the summer months when we have the majority of our families visiting. But there are some who work throughout the year as well. 
and they do the chores. They show how the chores are done. They show dancing, the lessons that the children learned in the 18th century. And in the absence of children, when they aren't physically there, you see toys left lying around and um, games and different things of that sort, clothing that they wore. You can find both in the homes and um, places like the millinery where they show not just adult clothing, but children's clothing as well. So there's a number of, of different places. And of course, the interesting thing to realize is if they go to visit any of the trades in Williamsburg, all of them had apprentices. And those apprentices were starting at a fairly young age. What other kinds of resources do folks have if they want to learn about things for kids to do in the historic area? Well, we have a number of different publications that are available. We have our um, family itinerary, which is, uh, it says looking for family fun, and it lists a number of the sites that are available that uh, have activities for children, uh, some more about children. Uh, there are also, we have a kid's guide to Colonial Williamsburg's historic area, which is fairly new. And then we also have books that tell about life in the 18th century. Um, we have one called A Williamsburg Household, which shows both the black and white sides of one house. And then we also have an 18th century book that's available. It's called A Little Pretty Pocket Book. And in the 18th century, they just had started to have publications for children. So they might have little stories in them and um, poems to go with learning your ABCs. And that way, they could have a childhood. Because the idea of childhood was a fairly new idea in the 18th century. Um, the idea of having a period of time when you were just allowed to be a child, as opposed to a, a miniature adult. Williamsburg is one of the best places in the world to come to learn about the 18th century and to learn about childhood in the 18th century. Kristen, thanks so much. To support the podcast and Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate. We love hearing from you. Visit history.org slash podcasts and click comment at the top of the page to drop us a line.